All right. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Now everyone gets to turn to the table of contents and find Nehemiah. And then find Nehemiah chapter 4. And let's stand in the honor of reading the word of our God. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 14, the word of the Lord says this, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. Uh, So we've we've broken up this this question of spiritual warfare as we looked at the Lord's Prayer and the Lord telling us, uh, uh, teaching us to pray that we would be delivered from evil, that we'd ask to be delivered from evil. We've broken up spiritual warfare in this way, to to fight well in spiritual warfare, that you've got to have the right equipment uh, used for the right reasons, uh, with the right heart, and the right actions. So, so far we've looked at the equipment that we must take up, both the mental and physical things that we must take up to prepare ourselves to fight against the evil and the evil one. We're, we've looked at the reasons or the motivations, we just finished that, for our fighting. Now we're kind of getting into the fight itself. Now we're getting actually into the fight. We, we, we've taken up the fight for the right reasons. We've got all the stuff we need to have. Now, how do we conduct ourselves in the midst of spiritual battle? When the spiritual battle is taking place, we're fighting it. Uh, we've got the right motivations. We've got everything that we need. Uh, what should uh, our conduct be like in that battle. And we're going to begin not with our actions. We're going to begin with our attitude. We're going to begin not with what we do with our bodies, but what we do with our hearts. Where must our hearts be if we are going to handle spiritual warfare well? If we are going to be delivered from evil. So let's talk about the heart, the the attitude that we've got to have uh, when we fight that is as Christians in engaging in, in spiritual warfare, we must have the right attitudes. You've got the right equipment. We've got our armor on. We're fighting for the right reasons. We're to please the Lord. We're fighting uh, for faith, for the faith, like we saw last week. Uh, but the Bible is going to talk about our attitude. The Bible is going to talk about uh, where our hearts need to be, that our hearts need to be in the right place in the midst of the fight, that we must not only go into fights with the right attitude, we must keep the right attitude in the midst of our fights, uh, and then we'll get into the action itself uh, maybe next week. But let's look at the right attitudes. And, and I thought Nehemiah 4 was a, a great place to see God's direction on how we should feel when we're confronting evil. So how should we feel when we're confronted even now? Uh, Nehemiah 4 here, the, the people have been exiled because of their sin. Uh, God, by His grace, had let the people return to the land. He used that Persian king, Cyrus, who, like we talked about on Wednesday, he calls the Lord's anointed, uh, that he is uh, one of the Lord's messiahs, little M, uh, to let the people go from Babylon. Uh, whom he had just defeated, Persia just defeated, and the Israelites, they start going back and they return, if you remember, from Ezra and Nehemiah, they start returning in waves. The first wave is Rubabal, then they got a wave with Ezra, and now they've got this third wave uh, with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who, who is in Persia at the time, and what happened is he's in Persia, he gets this report back from the people who'd made it to Jerusalem, and they said, things are bad. The, the, the walls of the city are torn down, all the gates have been have been burnt up, uh, and we're afraid we're going to lose. And they're, they're afraid that the people are just going to come right back and take the land back, that they're going to get back to the promised land, but immediately be booted out because they don't have any walls, they don't have any any gates, uh, and so they're afraid that's what's going to happen. So Nehemiah in Persia prays, and he asks the Lord to remember his promises that he made to his people, the promises to give them success. And, and in answer to that prayer, Nehemiah, God, God answers it by sending Nehemiah back the Persian king tells Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the city. And Nehemiah gets there, he inspects the city, he looks at everything, and he tells the people that great line, let us rise up and build. 
And they set to work rebuilding the wall. They set to work fixing the gates. But as they're doing that, that's not the deliverance from evil. That's part of the deliverance from evil, uh, you know, is to get back there. But things are not rosy. Even when he gets back there, the people of the land uh, that were a problem before Israel got back there, they don't like a reestablished Israel. They don't want God's people back in God's land. Uh, the, The evil ones do not like this. This is obviously a work of the grace of God. It's people who'd been booted out for their sin are now by God's grace being allowed back in. The, the evil ones do not like this. Uh, and so they, you've got the Moabites, the Ammonites, the, the Arabs, the Philistines. They all start teaming up. It, it's like Herod and Pilate here. All of a sudden they become friends. Uh, they start teaming up in not liking that Israel is coming back. And so as Nehemiah is back and they're rebuilding the wall, at first all those groups that are teaming up, all the evil ones that have decided to join forces here, they just start jeering the work. Just start sort of mocking them. You know, remember they say like a a fox could knock that wall down. Remember when they said that and uh, sort of mocking what they're doing. But then they start to give the threat of actual open warfare. The jeering's not doing enough. The mocking's not doing enough. Now they're ready to go to war against God's people. And the evil one has sent his evil ones to encourage the evil ones to attack the people of the Lord. And that's where we are in Nehemiah 4. So if you're still in Nehemiah 4, I want you to actually go to verse 7. That's sort of the context for, for Nehemiah. If we'd preached through it, that would have taken three years. Uh, we'd, have gotten, we'd have gotten here. I know some of you say three years, you'd be lucky. Uh, but verse 7, look at what it says. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, that's the, that's the Philistines, Ashdod, uh, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So this is happening. The, the, the Jews hear about this. They're aware of this opposition. So Nehemiah and the Jews pray, essentially, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And then what's interesting is they also set a guard as a means to help the Lord answer that request. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near uh, near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. For your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So the enemies are coming. Uh, the evil ones are surrounding the people of God. They are working in secret. Nehemiah tells the people three things. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. And then fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. So again, the evil nations, the evil ones coming against Judah. And this is the attitude they need to have as they go into spiritual warfare. This is what they need to remember as the fight comes. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight. So if I were going to sort of simplify the attitude that Christians should have as they are fighting, I actually thought this was a pretty good passage. It's going to encapsulate a lot of what the Bible says for us, uh, sort of to hold on to when you're in the fight against evil, when spiritual warfare comes against you, either large or small, to remember, don't be afraid. And remember who is on your side. Or better, whose side you are on. So let's look at those two things. Don't be afraid and remember the Lord. Don't be afraid and remember who's with you. And, and then, of course, you're going to get into the actual fight. And, and some of the why you're fighting there. 
Now, it seems interesting that we'd, we'd find this spiritual warfare truth, I think, in Nehemiah. But like I said, the, these, I thought Nehemiah was a good passage because it captured a lot of what we see. You're going to see in a lot of other places in scriptures uh, along this idea. This is, this is what the people of God do. The, these aren't just specific to Nehemiah. Uh, let's begin with the idea of don't be afraid. So the first thing, first attitude you got to have in spiritual warfare, you want to handle spiritual warfare right, you want to get into it and not flub it up, right? You don't want to put your armor on. And go, I've always had nightmares of being the guy who gets all dressed up for battle, gets on my horse, ready to go to war, and is the one hit by the arrow from 300 yards away and just dies. Like, doesn't even get to do anything. The guy just laying on the ground like, God, I'm so ready. Went through, I went through boot camp and everything. Like that scene in Saving Private Ryan when they're storming Normandy Beach and and the gates open up, and that's it. Uh, and that, that's sort of the fear. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to be the ones who are ready for battle. We put on all the armor. We're, we're thinking about the Lord, and, and we're like, I'm ready to please you, and I'm fighting for the faith. And then we go out there, and we just make a mess of it. So how do we keep from doing that? Well, one thing we've got to do is we've got to have the right attitude in the fight. And the first thing that we see in that attitude is we cannot be afraid. Do not be afraid when you're dealing with spiritual warfare. Do not be afraid. In fact, do not be afraid is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. Uh, It's an essential command, uh, not just for the Christians, but especially for Christians in the fight against the evil one. So as we're praying for the Lord to deliver us from evil, one of the means he's told us to be successful in that battle is do not be afraid. Now, we actually see a passage very similar to the one in Nehemiah in the book of Jeremiah book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 10. It's going to sound very similar. That's why I said what we're going to see in Nehemiah 4 is not all that crazy from what you'd see in, in a bunch of places in Scripture. But Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Listen to sort of the similarities, but you're going to see the same thing, especially focus on the idea of fear. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease and none shall make him afraid. So we we see a lot of the same parts from from Nehemiah. Don't be afraid, trust the Lord, and even the hope for for their children, for their offspring. Fight for your sons uh, and uh, for for your houses, basically. Uh, This idea of of not being afraid was one that was repeated throughout the life of Israel. Do not be afraid. It's a constant refrain for God or from God for his people. And in fact, you get this great phrase that we love that begins in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31. We start getting this great phrase that's going to be repeated over and over and over. Be strong and courageous, right? Do not fear. Be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So again, we see a lot of the same thing. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Be strong. Be courageous. So this idea, this phrase of being strong, not fearing the enemy is going to be continued throughout Israel. It's going to be a a chorus that the Lord goes back to over and over every time that the people of God face the evil one. Every time the evil one brings something evil against them, evil ones, whatever it is, every time evil comes, he reminds them, be strong and courageous. So for example, you actually see this phrase repeated by David. So you got this all the way back from Joshua, pre-even entering the promised land, and the people remembered it so much. David has read it in the Word of God. He's read it in Deuteronomy. He's hopefully written it down uh, from the book of Deuteronomy as he's copied the law himself. But listen to what David says, 1 Chronicles twenty-two thirteen. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. David, you know, talking to Solomon says, you, you obey the Lord, you walk in his word, things will go well. Believe that, be strong, be courageous, and don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Not only are we not to be afraid, he says we're to be strong and courageous. And if, you're, if you're thinking about what it means to not be afraid, to not be afraid would, would be, if we're stealing from Colossians 2, not be afraid is, is like the, the put off. Put off fear. 
But what do you put on? It's not just put off fear and don't be afraid and just sit there like a lump. Put on, be strong and courageous. That's what the people of God are supposed to do. Don't be afraid. Instead, be strong and courageous. That's what you put on. You put on strength. You put on courage. So when when faced with evil, be it from the evil one or his evil ones, angelic or human, we're not to be afraid. In our fight that is coming, we are not, or that we are in, in some of these cases, you are not to be afraid. Instead, you must be strong and you must be courageous in the battle, even when the battle is against the evil one. But that's not all that Nehemiah 4 calls us to. So don't be afraid. That's the second thing. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So that's the second aspect of our attitude. One, don't be afraid. Two, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. So just as be strong and courageous is that, is that put on to do not afraids, uh, put off of, of that. In Nehemiah, the put on is remember the Lord, which we saw often when we were looking at those passages about be strong and courageous. In battle, we're, we're not just supposed to not be afraid. That's not always, it's not just about not being afraid. We're not just supposed to get fear out of our minds. It's not just about what you get out of your head. It's about what you need to fill your mind with. And in this case, it's you need to fill your mind with the Lord. You need to remember the Lord. In other words, don't just stop thinking about the evil that you're facing and don't just stop being afraid what you must do if you want to handle evil well is you need to start thinking about the Lord. So it's not, if you're, going to, if you're going to fight spiritual warfare well, it's not just about what you stop thinking about, it's what you start thinking about. Not just what you empty your mind of, but what you fill your mind with. And in this case, you fill your mind with the Lord. The Lord is the antidote to fear for the Christian. If you find yourself afraid, the antidote for fear for you is to think about the Lord. Because that's what we see here, Nehemiah. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. And when you go back and you look, you look at the passages in, De- in Deuteronomy 31 or in 1 Chronicles 22, both of them say, hey, you need to remember, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord is with you. That's why you're going to be strong and courageous. That's why you're not afraid. It's not, just, it's not just blindly telling you, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. It's saying, you don't really have a reason to because you've got the Lord. It's not just what you empty your mind of, it's what you fill your mind with. But what's interesting about here in Nehemiah, if we're not careful, because of our translation, sometimes we don't notice, sometimes the Lord in our Bible is uh, capital L-O-R-D, right? Whenever it's using the divine name of the Lord, whenever it's using Yahweh, it'll be capital L-O-R-D. But if you're looking here in Nehemiah, if you notice, it's not capital L-O-R-D. It's not remember Yahweh. It's remember the Lord, in its lowercase, this is the Lord. The word is, is not Yahweh, but Adonai here. Rem- remember, remember the Adonai. Remember who your Lord is. This is a, the same title that was used uh, by Sarah with, with Abraham uh, when she called him Lord. It's also the title that daughters would use for their father, fathers, that slaves would use for their masters, that they are their Lord. So why tell us in our fight against evil, why say, why does he not say, remember Yahweh. Why does he instead say, remember who your Lord is? What's the purpose of that? Why does that matter? Well, a Lord's job, in this case, the Lord's job, whether it was because he was the head of the household or because he was the ruler of the people, including like kings would be called lords as well. We're more familiar with that as we all know our English history and who doesn't love the War of the Roses, and we're going, we're thinking of those things, think of the, of the Lord, and what a Lord is my Lord, and what, what would be the value of God reminding the people, remember who your Lord is? Well, the reason that's important is the, the role of the Lord, whether again, they were the head of the household, or a master over some servants, or a king over a people, your job as Lord was to protect those people. That was your job. Your job was to protect them. So it said, when it says, remember the Lord, remember the Adonai, remember who your Lord is, there is a reminder in that, in the face of the enemy, remember that God is your protector. 
Why, why are you not afraid? Because you remember who your Lord is, who the Lord is over you, who the Lord is watching out for you, who your Lord is, who your protector is. And notice why it does that. It's so great because look at what it says in verse 14. It says, remember your Lord and who is our Lord? Who is the protector that we have? He says, the Lord, what? Who is great and awesome. So that's your Lord. So who's your protector? Your protector's not your walls. Your protector's not your cities. Who cares if a fox could knock your walls down? That's not your protector. Who is the one actually watching over you? Your Lord. Who is your Lord? Your Lord is the Lord. Great and awesome. And this is one of those awesome, those awesome parallels. It's just lost in the English. Because the word there for awesome is the same as the word for fear. When it says, don't be afraid. Do not have fear. Here's that exact same, exact same, which is, which is again, why we said the fear of the Lord. Uh, and when we, when we defined it, we actually said it's to be amazed by God. Because remember we said often when people say, what is the fear of the Lord? The one thing they say is, well, it's not being afraid. Uh, and then people get really confused. Uh, but here we see this, word, this idea of being amazed, being in awe of God. So in Hebrew, if we're, if we're reading it as, 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 as Nehemiah is speaking it to the people, the people are reading it later. Later, the idea would be, he'd be telling them, don't be afraid of them. Instead, remember the Lord who is great and fearful. In other words, you don't fear them, you fear the Lord. Because he is great and fearsome. We not only know that we are to fear the Lord, but we're also not to fear anyone else. In other words, in our spiritual warfare, we fear the Lord, but we only fear the Lord. Because only the Lord is truly fearful. Only he is truly amazing. Only he is awesome. So we fear the Lord, and because we fear the Lord, and this is why it's so important, remember, going into spiritual warfare, this is why before you get into the battle, you are to fear the Lord. Because if you get in the battle, and he says, hey, remember, remember the Lord, how fearful he is, and you're like, I skipped that class, right? I missed those Sundays. Then you're going into spiritual battle, and you don't know what the fear of the Lord is. So he says, hey, don't fear them, fear the Lord, and you're like, But why? How? What does that even mean? And you're in the midst of the battle and you don't know how. He's so great and so fearsome. And you're like, but how? The Lord says you've got to fear. Before we even get into spiritual battles, before you're even ready to take up the sword and start swinging, you have to know that you, you have to fear the Lord. That way he can tell you to remember to fear the Lord. Instead of calling you, hey, start doing this fear of the Lord that you've never done before. We're, we, all, we must be a people who are fearing the Lord constantly. So he can say here, remember, remember to fear the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, you won't fear anyone else. It's actually the command that God gave to the peoples themselves when they're entering the land. Like uh, the, think the Samaritans and stuff like that when that's first happening. Second Kings chapter 17, this is taking place. And the statutes and the rules, this is 2 Kings 17, 37. And read through verse 39. It says, And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandments that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods. You shall not forget the covenant that I made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God, and he'll deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Do not be afraid. Why? Because you know who God is. This is why it's essential to remember the Lord. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. And who is he? He is great and he is fearsome. And they are not. They are not as great as he is. They're not as fearsome as he is. So if the one behind you is greater than the one you fear, there'd be no reason to be afraid. That's why all the Philistines, when Goliath was behind them, was like, yeah, that's right, Israel. Uh, Because why? Because they had Goliath. He's a Goliath. And you know, you can be that, like, like the Philistines were just a bunch of toadies, right? Just running out there and like, uh-huh. and then like Israel steps forward and like, ah, Goliath. And like run backwards again. When you've got someone bigger than everybody else behind you, you don't have any reason to be afraid. And so I take Gideon with me wherever I go. Here Nehemiah tells them, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord because he is so much greater and so much more fearsome than any enemy you might face. 
because you will never face an enemy. Even if you face the evil one himself, you will not face an enemy who is bigger, who is greater or more fearsome than your God, who is your Lord, who is your protector, who is your defender. And he will not fail in that task. Earthly masters might. Earthly kings might. But the Lord of lords will never fail. And and we see that in almost all these verses about not being afraid. We're not to be afraid. Why? Because we have the Lord. For example, another one. Another one. Jeremiah 1.8. Do not be afraid of them. Jeremiah 1.8. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you. Declares the Lord. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. Now, that's not a big deal if he's not bigger than all our enemies, right? If, if, I'm, like if I'm going out at night and I'm taking the trash out and I'm in bags, so I know, you know, on Main Street, I'm either going to have to deal with pit bulls or grown men with backpacks walking in the middle of the night. Uh, and I'm walking out to the road and Shep's like, hey, Papa, don't be afraid. Why, Shep? I'm going with you. You know, I'm not going to be like, oh, great. That's, that's awesome, bud. Uh, I might think I'm faster than him, you know, so I can get away. Uh, maybe when he gets in the dark and he starts crying because he's afraid of the dark, uh, maybe that'll distract the other things. I, we know you're not afraid of the dark, Jeffrey. Uh But I'm not going to go, oh, that's amazing. But if someone who goes with me is much bigger than me, much bigger than any enemy I might face, of course I'm not going to be afraid. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Don't be afraid of them. I'm with you. And I'm great. And I'm fearsome. Which is a better word than him saying, I'm great and I'm awesome. That just doesn't quite have the strike that it's meant to have in the actual text. God's not saying, I'm great and I'm awesome. He's saying, I'm great and I'm fearsome. I'm a mighty warrior. You go back and look at these, again, these strong and courageous verses. Again, you see the same thing. Why can you be strong and courageous? Because you remember the Lord. We saw that one in, in Deuteronomy 31.6. He says, don't be in fear or dread of them. Why? Because it's the Lord who goes with you. The Lord's with you. He'll not leave you or forsake you. Again, at the start of Joshua, when they actually start putting these verses into action. So the Lord's like, hey, you're going to go into the promised land, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid of them. So they start going and Joshua's like, all right, here we go. He says, and the Lord says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So they actually get into the fight and he's like, hey, remember what I told you. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm there. I, when he says, I will not leave you or forsake you, what he means is, I'm going to be with you at all times. Wherever you go, it says in, in Joshua 1.9, when it sort of repeats that idea. Wherever you go, he's there. An enemy you face, he's there. You're not going to face an enemy or be in a situation that he is not there. Not just face an enemy or situation where he will show up. You're never going to face an enemy or situation where he's not there already. There's not going to be an enemy or situation where you have to call him down like uh, the prophets of Baal. Right? And there might be a chance that he's on his, you know, holy throne in a different way. You're not going to have to worry about that. Instead, what can you know? You know God is there right from the beginning. He's with you. You see your enemy. You're afraid. You don't have to turn around and call God to you like some sort of ancient Greek God. You know, he's right there, already with you, wherever you go. And in our spiritual battles, we don't need to be afraid because the Lord is with us. He's with us, and he's not just with us. He is fighting. The Lord is with us and he's fighting in our battles. He's active in our spiritual battles. The Lord is fighting for us. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. He's the very beginning before he ever gets to the be strong and courageous. But when he already starts telling them not to be afraid, listen to what he says. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. So before they even start facing him, before they get into the, into the promise, the Lord's like, hey, he's, I'm going to be with you. Don't, don't be afraid of him. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to fight for you just as I've always done. So in our spiritual battles, you can know the Lord's going to fight for you because that's what he's always done in every one of your spiritual battles. You've never fought any one of your spiritual battles alone. You've never fought any one of your spiritual battles where the Lord did not fight for you. He always does that for his people. And throughout the life of his people, he reminds them of this. 
He didn't say, hey, I was just talking about, I was just talking about that one time when they were going to the promised land. Since then, man, I've been super busy. He says, this has always been the reality. So Isaiah 41, Isaiah 41, beginning in verse eight, throughout, throughout the life is, he reminds them they don't need to be afraid because he's fighting for them. Isaiah 41, eight through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. Which again is essential because that means, that means he is our Lord. You, it means he's our Adonai. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And then this is why it gets into the hymnal, right? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, we're centuries later. Centuries later from the, from the time of, of Moses. Millennia later. And the Lord says, this promise is still true. I'm there and I'm fighting for you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. And the Lord has told us how he fights for us and how he defends us against evil. We've talked about how he does this in some very practical and realistic ways. We, we, you know, Satan may have sent his evil ones to harass you, but the Lord has not left you undefended. Remember what he says in Psalm 34, 7. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Angelic hosts encamp around the people of God who, who fear him and God delivers them. Hebrews chapter 1, 13 to 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? We think about that, but we don't think about the next verse. Are they not all, all of these angels, are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So when he describes, this is a lot of people like to say, first deacons were in, you know, Acts chapter 6. I don't think they are, but that's a, that's a, we have that discussion some other time. But here, and other places in the Bible, actually says the first deacons are actually heavenly deacons. The deacons are these heavenly deacons sent to serve God's people. That that's their purpose. We often would think of angels. We just think of them sitting on uh, sort of clouds and strumming and for all eternity. And then we're just afraid that might be our eternity. Uh, and, and, and we go, is that, is that what heaven's going to be like? And the reason, again, the reason we don't like that is because you weren't made to be an angel. But anyway, uh, but what the angels aren't just doing that. In this case, what are all of them doing? He says, aren't all of them ministering spirits? That word ministers, the word deacon. Aren't they all diakonos spirits? Aren't they all deaconing spirits? Sent out to deacon for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's what they do. That's what the angelic is meant to do. It's not just that the, the Lord has the angelic there encamped around you to protect you. It's not just like the evil one has a bunch of evil ones he can send. So does the Lord. And he does send them. He promises. He promises that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord. You want to get excited about that? Talk to Mr. Jackson about the angel of the Lord. You, he'll get so excited about it, you'll get excited about it. Um, but he promises the angel of the Lord encamps around not some who fear him, not one who fears him, not, not this one guy in one place. He says, all who fear him, those who fear the Lord, which we're all called to do. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around them. I love the words of, of Psalm 91 because they show us both how the angelic protects us and, and how their protection is, is not just for our defense. Remember, that's one of the things we want to get across in spiritual warfare. Often when we talk about spiritual warfare, we just think of it as a defensive maneuver, protecting us against evil. But in Scripture, it's also meant to be offensive. You're meant to take it to the kingdom of darkness. And the angelic is meant for that purpose as well. So look at Psalm 91, 11 through 16. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Paul's talking about this in Romans. He's not just pulling something out of the blue here. Because he holds me fast in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In our battles against evil, we must not be afraid. We must remember that we have a Lord. And we must remember that our Lord 
has other servants that he has sent to watch over us. And we must remember that our Lord is great and fearsome. And he is great and fearsome for us. His his greatness and his fearfulness he uses for his people. He's not just a totem of majesty in the sky. He is active on behalf of his people, fighting against their enemies. We may, like we saw last week, we may fight for the faith, but our Lord also fights for us. That's the attitude we've got to have as we go into spiritual warfare. You want to handle spiritual warfare right, you cannot be afraid. Remember the Lord. And if you remember the Lord and you are still afraid, your problem isn't the enemy. The problem is your vision of the Lord. The problem is that you have a blasphemous vision of the Lord. It's a blasphemous because you, if you're thinking about the Lord and how great and awesome He is, and you're still afraid that the enemy is greater or more awesome, that'd be the only reason you can still be afraid. The only way you can still be afraid is if you thought your guy behind you still wasn't as strong as the enemy you're facing. Or if you thought that guy who's great and fearsome behind you is just not going to do anything. The Lord has promised. He has told us who he is, O oh man. And he's promised what he will do for you. The same thing he's always promised to do for his people. To fight to fight for them. So what must our attitude be? Don't be afraid. Remember your Lord. And if you have those attitudes in place, what do you do? You fight. You fight for your brothers. You fight for your sons and daughters. You fight for your wives. And you fight for your homes. Or as we'll say, you fight for your brothers, you fight for your babies, you fight for your beloved, and you fight for your blessings. So what can we do with this? What must you do? First, we have promised that we will do all that the Lord has said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What must we do? You must not be afraid. The Lord is not just encouraging you to not be afraid. The Lord is not just a, a, a parent turning on a light, night light and saying, look, there's nothing in the closet. The Lord is commanding you. Your Lord, if you want the Lord to protect you, then you've got to treat the Lord like your Lord. And your Lord is telling you, do not be afraid. He is not suggesting, he is commanding you to not be afraid. Now, it's very important for us to understand, that does not mean that the things we face are not frightening. It doesn't mean that the things that you'll go up against and the spiritual forces that will come against you and wander into your church and tell you they're mute or whatever, like those things aren't really frightening. Those things are real and they're scary. And the more you pursue, like we talked about, when the men talked about you pray and fast, and you're entering a battlefield and the war will come to you. You start, you start trying to stand against the evil one and he's not just going to take it. And the things that you will see, if you are genuinely not just ignoring the spiritual world, but fighting against it, the things you will see are frightening things. The Bible doesn't say they're not frightening. What does the Bible say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6? If you are Sarah's children... You're her children if you do good and what? Do not fear anything that is frightening. So the word of God doesn't say, and don't fear anything because nothing's frightening. It says you've got these things that are frightening, but you don't fear them. Why? Because you've got something that is more fearful. You've got something that is more fearsome. You've got something that is greater. And because of that, you're not frozen. You're not frozen. Why? Because your Lord is more fearful. Your Lord is more powerful. He's greater. Your, your job in this, in spiritual warfare, your job is not to downplay the demonic or your enemies. And we could look at the book of Jude to see why that might not be a good idea. The blasting the glorious ones, depending on how you take that. Your job is not to, to downplay what you're up against or to downplay the spiritual forces. The Bible never does that. The Bible upplays the Lord. Your job isn't to, isn't to diminish them, but to make God greater, to recognize 
His greatness. If you desire to live for the Lord, again, you're going to face these frightening things. You're going to face some fearsome foes, but you must not be afraid of them. They must not freeze you into inaction. The fear of them must not be an excuse to not do what you know you're supposed to do. Heed the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. You must not be afraid of what the evil one brings against you. The second thing, you must remember the Lord. Christians, we must, we must remember. If, if you're not going to be afraid, you can't just not be afraid because you are not greater than your enemy. You are not greater than all the evil ones of this world. If you're going not, you've got to be thinking about the Lord. Because again, what you come against is Israel, and it is frightening. Think about Elisha. I love Elisha so much. We talked about it on Wednesday how much I love Elisha. I love Elisha. When Elisha wanted to show the servant of the Lord, right? When he wanted to show the servant of the Lord why he didn't need to be afraid. He didn't tell that servant of the Lord, hey, the armies of Syria ain't nothing. He didn't say that. He didn't tell him that, oh, his enemies weren't that big of a deal or that, you know, oh, earthly enemies don't really matter or they, oh, those enemies, they're not the real enemy. Let's think about our real enemy for a while. He doesn't say that to them. You know what what did he do? He had God show the servant that they were surrounded by something greater. And then all of a sudden he sees the mountains full of these chariots of fire. He had, he had God show them that their God was greater and that the greater of the Lord was real. It was there. It was with them. He didn't even have, he didn't even have the Lord give him a, some sort of beatific vision. You know, he doesn't just say, and, and hey, show, show the servant of the Lord this. And, and the servant of the Lord got a picture of the throne of the Lord. And that's not even what happened. He didn't just have like this Isaiah 6 moment. He sees what the Lord has supplied. And what the Lord supplies is greater than the enemies that we face. That when the Lord says that His angels encamp around His people, that's not just a metaphor. Because the Lord promises that, and then you have Elisha showing, yeah, see, that's not just a, that's not just a metaphor here. That's actually what the Lord is doing. Your enemies are real, and they are powerful. But you've got to remember that your God is greater. You don't do justice to the Lord by making your enemies smaller. That's never what the Lord tells us to do. You do Him justice when you make Him greater. When you make them as frightening as they might be, you make Him more fearsome than they are. So what truth should you cling to as you remember what the Lord is? What did He say? One is to remember what He is. Remember, He said, remember the Lord. And then He gives us these two descriptions. So first, remember what He is. He is the Lord. The Lord is is the protector, but He is the protector not of everyone. The Lord was the protector of His people. You need Jesus as your Lord, not just because you don't want to be living in rebellion. You need Jesus as Lord because a Lord defends His people. It is the job of a master to defend his servants. It's the job of a husband and a father to defend his household. So is God those things to you because you are His? This is why living in rebellion to God, you do that and you open yourself up to spiritual attack. Because the Lord protects His people and if you deny Him as your Lord, you're living as if He's not your Lord, you're living as if He's not your, your Father, you're living as if He's not your Master, then of course, you step out from under that umbrella of the, of the, of, of the Lord's protection. Why, what did David say in First Chronicles that we saw? First Chronicles 22. You will prosper if you're careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded, Israel, uh, to, commanded Moses for Israel to observe. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. If you're obeying and observing and doing, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be dismayed. 
What does the Lord promise? He, what did He promise in Deuteronomy 31.6? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Your Lord will never forsake you. The question is, have you perhaps forsaken Him? Because if you do, you're pulling yourself out from underneath that protection that the Lord gives. And that's why when the people of God did that throughout Israel's history, that's when you see the influx of idols. That's when you see the influx of the demonic. When they're not serving the Lord and Him only, but when they're fearing other gods. So you've got to remember, you've got to remember what He is, but you've also got to remember who He is. You must remember that God is great and He is fearful. But to know that God is great, you must know what makes Him great. And to do that, you must be in His Word. So Christian, if you want to make sure that you are not afraid and you want to make sure that you remember who God is and remember how great He is to understand the greatness of God, you must understand His greatness as He has revealed Himself. You don't get to make up greatness. You don't, think, you don't get to go, you know what I think God is? I think God is like this, and that would be a really great God. In order to remember, you've got to know beforehand. And in order to know beforehand, you've got to be in His Word. If you want to have the right attitude, then what you've got to do before you get into, his, into the fight is be into His Word. So you can remember how great He is. And again, this is why understanding the fear of the Lord is so important. It says, remember how great God is. Remember how fearsome He is. Remember how important the fear of the Lord is. And you've got to go back over your notes or go back over those sections or listen to those sermons. Again, that's how important the fear of the Lord is because the fear of the Lord isn't just important before you get into the fight. The fear of the Lord is what the Lord reminds you of when you're in the fight. Remember the fear of the Lord. And if you're like, I forgot those notes. I forgot why He's so fearful. I forgot what the fear of the Lord is. Ah! You're not going to be able to remember. But that's what the Lord says is so essential. You want to handle spiritual warfare right? You've got to know that he's great and you've got to know what makes him fearsome. Do you remember what makes him fearsome? If you don't, you better go back and find out. Because the enemy's not going to wait. The enemy's not going to be like really bad teachers, of which I am one, right? Which is like, we've got a quiz. And everyone's like, no, not a quiz. I'm like, we'll have a quiz tomorrow. Uh, go home and study really fast. The enemy's not going to do that. The enemy's going to know when you remember. The enemy knows when you read your Bible and when you don't. The enemy knows how much time you spend thinking about the Word and how much you don't. The enemy knows what you remember and what you don't. So if, you, if you're not thinking about these things, you're spending no time in the Bible, unless you're somehow ruminating in your head that, that, that they can't know. I mean, they, they see. And it's not, the enemy's not going to wait. It's not going to wait in, uh, until the opportune time for you. Because no enemy does that. And again, they've had 6,000 years of human history to know when the best time to strike is. They're not going to forget that just because it's you. If you want to fight well, you must not only know how frightening your enemy is, you must know how fearsome your God is. Do you know that? You must know it because you must remember it. What we don't know we cannot remember. Do you know how great your God is? Do you know how fearsome He is? If the answer to that right now is, I'm not sure, you better get sure. You better fill your mind with as much glory of the Lord as you can because you're going to need it in the battle. No one, no one wants to turn around for another arrow and find they've used all the verses that they could remember. Fill your mind up with these things because you never know how much of the word you're going to need because you don't know how great of a battle you're going to have to fight. What attitudes must rule in our heart if we're going to find well, fight well? Don't be afraid. Remember your Lord. He is great and fearful. Let's pray. Our, our prayer today is easy. Our prayer today is at least simple. Maybe easy was, was not the right word. Maybe simple is, the question is this, are you afraid? Are you facing spiritual battles that, that have driven you to fear? Are there, are there things you're afraid of that you think, if I obey the Lord in this, this might happen, or this might happen, or, or maybe this or that? Or 
Has your fear of the enemy brought you to inaction? You know what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're just not doing it. And all the accusations of the evil one you keep hearing. All the failures that you are. You're never going to do it. You're going to fail again just like you always do. And your fear that they're right is greater than your trust in the faithfulness and rightness of the Lord. Do not fear them. Do not fear what they say about you. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. Do you remember your Lord? When faced with battle, where do your thoughts go? Do your thoughts automatically go to yourself and they accuse you and you automatically start thinking about, oh, you know, about me and me and me and I and I and Pat. Or do your thoughts run to the Lord? Think about how great God is. Think about how fearful he is. Your enemies, enemies throwing things you know are lies, you know are untruths. So instead of listening to, listening to the enemy, what do you need to do? You need to, instead of listening to their lies, you need to speak the truth to yourself, right? And the, one of the core truths you need to, to speak to yourself right off the beginning is not how great you are, but how great God is. It's not to reassure yourself about you and start pointing out all the things that you've done and how wonderful you are and, okay, you've got this, you're strong, you're might No, you, you, need to, you need to think about the Lord. You want to be strong and courageous? Your courage is going to be found when you remember Him, when you think about how great He is, how fearsome He is, and remind them about how fearsome He is. Do you remember the Lord? Is it the first place your mind runs when you're facing spiritual warfare? Does it run to the Lord? Ask the Lord right now, fix my heart on you. Fix my heart on you so that when the enemy comes, I know exactly where to turn. Not inward, but upward. Father, we ask for your help today. We ask, Father, that you would help us to not be afraid, that we would heed your commands. To not fear our enemies, no matter how mighty they might seem, because we remember you. You will always be greater. You will always be more fearsome. And so, Father, help us to remember those things, to believe them, to believe you more than we believe them. And more sometimes even than we believe ourselves, as fickle as we are. Help our eyes to be fixed on you. Pull us upward. May we not be afraid. May we remember who our Lord is. Our Lord, who is great and fearsome. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.